1: Time now for Ken and Curtis with Ken Laird and Chris
2: Curtis on WEEI. If it's Saturday morning, it is Ken and Curtis on WEI, and if it is uh, the new WEI, Boston Sports Original, it is without Ken. So we are just Curtis. I want to be like Ronaldo. I just want to have one name, and we will be just Curtis <laughs> Saturday mornings, 9 to 1. We'll have a bald head, and everybody will know exactly what it's uh, referencing, but uh, Brian Barrett in again before he uh, departs for the world of podcasting with the, the great Bill Simmons. So Brian is back, and... There are a few things in this world that still bring me joy from sports. Obviously Tom Brady. You know, a good upset at the March Madness always a always a good time. You're a Brady guy? Uh, you know, I'm I'm on the I'm on the I'm, I'm debating. This okay. OC situation certainly is nudging me in that direction. <laughs> um, but watching the Yankees lose still brings a smile to my face even though they're having a far better season, but last night Sox walk off the Yankees in 10. We'll get to some feisty core in a bit. And we're going to get to the Patriots. We're going to get to the offensive coordinator situation. I finally have a analogy that I think fits for Bill Belichick. I've been workshopping it with my son James, and I think I'm ready to go. We'll do that. Uh, he approved. He did a little bit later on. But there is a column that just dropped this morning on a, a competing website of yours, uh, Brian Barrett, ESPN.com. <laughs> and uh, Buster Olney is about as good as it gets when it comes to the stories in baseball, he's sort of like Adam Schefter without an ass, without being an ass. Like He's like a, a good reporter who's not a condescending douche at times. So uh, Buster reported this morning that there is this feeling across baseball among rival executives that people don't know what the hell the Patriots uh, oh, – I guess you could say it for both, right? There's been stories on both. <laughs> it's amazing. Two teams that brought 10 titles in the last 20 years – and rivals of each team in their respective sports have no clue what they're doing in a bad way. How the things have taken a turn, as one uh, old friend John Dennis would uh, used to say. But here's a quote from the Buster-only story that just dropped at ESPN.com this morning. Since Boston's signing of Chris Sale early in the 2019 season, executed before Bloom took over, the Red Sox rank 13th among 30 teams in free agent spending. And I would love, and that was from this guy Hembo, who does a great job with research at ESPN, I would love to have a deeper dive of multi-year free agent signings and where the Red Sox rank, because they have to be in the bottom third in baseball when it comes to that.
1: And how much of it is just Trevor Story's contract, because that's really the only big one they've given out. So I'm sure they got propped up to 13th because of that, because really, if you think about it in the Bloom era, who have they really signed outside of Trevor Story? The highest paid guy that they brought in, Previous to the story signing this off season was Kike Hernandez, two years and fourteen million dollars, right, seven AAV. So, really, if you if you did this out by like the median, it'd probably be lower
2: than thirteenth. And in this time, the Red Sox have been by far and away, according to the Fan Cost Index, which measures it's like the uh, Congressional Budget Office. They measure each team on four tickets, parking, two hot dogs, and a shot of Jaeger, and the Red Sox are forty dollars more expensive than the next highest priced team in baseball it's insane and, and and what's happening with the Red Sox and we have Sam Kennedy on the Greg Hill show and he'll come on and I give I give Sam credit Jonathan Crabb doesn't do radio interviews you know you hardly ever hear Cam Neely so at least the Red Sox brass comes on and talks to the media and talks you know their their conduit for the fans but Sam you know they they always reference that they are paying at the top of baseball They've won four titles. And, and and I said to Sam, nobody would dispute that the John Henry-led stewardship of the Boston Red Sox has been a rousing success. But just like the Red Sox don't pay for past performance, fans shouldn't pay top dollar for a team that's not giving them the bang for their buck. And, and there's such a, uh, I, I don't know what it is. It's like a, a, an air of superiority that emanates from both the Patriots and the Red Sox because of what they have achieved. And yet the whole way they operate their business models is to not give a damn about three years ago. If they were if they were if they were running their business the way they talk to their fans, Tom Brady's never in Tampa. If you win six titles, you get to stick around using that theory. But they don't, and people respect that. They they are cutthroat and they have to do what's best for the for the interests of their team today and in the future. It is not relevant what you did in the past.
1: Yeah, and I think part of it, and by the way, just real quick, I want to mention this. This is my favorite quote from the entire Buster article because it echoes what we felt at the trading deadline. A top front office official from another team, what the hell are they doing up there? That's what we all felt at the trading deadline. Like, what exactly is going on?
2: And didn't Buster report that that's what players within, or uh, Spear, this week in the Globe. Yeah, confusion. The the players don't know what they're doing. (laughs) They have
1: no idea what they're doing. I mean, we're at the point now where Bogarts isn't afraid to say anything publicly. Like, ordinarily, we know that there's stuff going on in the clubhouse, etc., but Bogarts legitimately said at the deadline, I don't think we got better because they traded Christian Vasquez. So I think what happened here, Curtis, and... See if you agree on this or not, but because they made the run last year and because Heim's the guy that traded for Schwarber, even though I still contend, the only reason that happened is because Schwarber was hurt and it cost him his 18th prospect. That's why they weren't in on Bryant, and that's why they weren't in, in on Anthony Rizzo because the price was going to be higher for those two guys. Schwarber, that was an unbelievable deal on so many levels because he didn't give anything up. So because they make that run last year, I feel like what what happened is ownership and – the Red Sox were puffing their chest. We got it right. Look what we did. We made it all the way to two games away from the World Series. So then they completely bought in to the Bloom model. And then what has happened this year is it's been a mess for this team. And now when you look at it, this is when I think ownership is going to have to actually wake up. Because the quotes that John Henry gave a couple of weeks ago in the Globe, they just made no sense. Remember when he was talking about the Bogarts and the Raphael Devers extension offers? And he said it takes two to make a deal. It's like, wait, hold on. Do, do you know what the offers were to those two guys? Are, are you aware? Because we all know what they were. One extra year for Bogarts at 30 mil, which was a slap in the face, less on an annual basis than story. And the Devers deal was eight for 168. And they compared him to Matt Olson, which Devers is a far superior player to that guy. So now I wonder this, Curtis, if it goes and it's been going in the other direction last night and the other night, notwithstanding, if people... If the attendance starts to dwindle, as it has been previous to the Yankees series, and they realize, wait, I'm paying a tax for this team? Because all the other teams that are paying the tax are in the hunt. The Phillies with Dave Dombrowski, and that's the other component to this. I wonder if they look at what Dave D is doing with the Phillies and say, okay, hold on,
2: we got to take a look at Haim at this point. Well, go back at the de- look at the deals that Dombrowski made. Find all the studs that the Red Sox lost out from their farm system to win that World Series with the greatest season in the franchise's history. And you know, I, I, the next time we have Sam honorheim, I'll, I'll ask them, but they said, and I quote, last year validated their plan. So yeah. what what I would love to ask is, what is it? Because I mark my words, if this team misses the playoffs, if they have an ugly September, if Fenway is not quite as packed, kids are back in school, the Patriots are playing, there's other things to do, there's not the same influx of tourists in Boston, I guarantee you that they will do something this offseason that contradicts everything Heim Bloom is working towards because they never allow, whether it's Dombrowski, Heim, Sherrington, Theo is allowed, you know, by and large, but, you know, these guys are operating for a boss that can't stand negative public opinion and more importantly can't stand things that impact the direct bottom line of his franchise.
1: Yeah, and I think part of it too is with the whole situation is and you mentioned this a couple of months ago Curtis and I didn't agree with you at the time, but I'm starting to turn that direction now is the Heim Bloom line. Jeez. <laughs> the Heim Bloom hire, it did appear to be something where okay, we think that this will work and we can be sustainable long-term, right? Like, that was the goal with Haim. We want to be what the Dodgers are. Here's the problem, though. Right now they're in last. Okay, so we don't want to go first to last. That didn't happen in the Dombrowski era. Like, they misconstrued the Dombrowski era. It felt like they overreacted to one year. Dombrowski won the division three consecutive years. He put together the best team, and I know a lot of it wasn't drafted by him, but they won the most games in the history of the franchise. And so now Haim Bloom comes in, and it feels like the ownership group they just gave it all to Hein Bloom. Now, they did the same t- thing to Dave Dombrowski, and it's good. If you're not baseball people, let the baseball people do that. But here's the problem what it does appear now is they are in a situation where the Red Sox aren't their big emphasis, like they were in 04, like they were in 07, where they wanted to break the curse, and they have all these other things going on right now. And it does feel like, in some sense, at least to me, from looking at the moves that Hein Bloom has made and looking at the bad PR, I mean, Hein Bloom's terrible from a PR perspective. It does feel like the ownership group has been asleep at the wheel as to what Hein Bloom's doing.
2: Well, here's what happens when you diversify your portfolio and you buy into racing, in the, into hockey, into Liverpool, into everything that they have within Fenway Sports Group's umbrella taken on. You want a system that is easy to monitor, that is cost effective, and doesn't require meddling and what Billy Bean developed in Oakland, and at the end of Moneyball, I don't know how accurate it was, but the John Henry did a pretty damn good job with Brad Pitt, Fenway Park, at the end of Moneyball, the movie, where John wanted to combine the, boat, combine the two, which is finding the diamonds in the rough, exploiting undervalued people within the marketplace while simultaneously being able to, to, to sign high-ticket free agent items that can help. So if I'm John Henry... And you know, first of all, thank you. I want to go on my yacht. Secondly, <laughs> I, I would I would sell the globe and I would say, what are we doing here? I don't want to have to deal with this every off season about we're being schizophrenic. We hire Dumbrowski, we hire right. Heim, We hire Sherrington, we hire Farrell, we fire Bobby V. I want to have a system in place like my soybean futures and like my hedge fund, where I can anticipate the markets, short certain stocks, and be profitable based on an algorithm. And they're trying to apply that in baseball so John can sit back, count his money, and watch a successful team on the field from afar. And that's just not something that you can – there is the human element in sports, which is what makes it the greatest thing in the world, where you can see people like Alex Rodriguez or Peyton Manning pee down their leg, where a computer system cannot provide a formulaic equation that enables you to win titles every year. It's not Madden hitting, you know – whatever the hell they had, like a jug- Juggernaut, and you get the best team every year. I don't know if they still have that. They had it when I was a kid. But it's just, it's so frustrating as someone who watches this team day to day, who knows the place the Red Sox have within this, this, in this community, this city, this region. It's not like it was in 04, but there's a connection to this team that is unlike most other sports and their cities in all of America. And it's just this disconnected approach where it's like, okay, fans are mad. We screwed up with, with Lester. David Price, $215 million. Come on down. You know We're not going to give Bogarts his money. We're getting some crap before spring trading. Trevor Story, come on here. Trade deadline. We had a plan in place. I am certain of it to deal J.D., Uvalde, Vasquez, to do a fire sale, rebuild and restock the farm system. Heim for whatever reason, doesn't fly to Houston. Players are pissed when they trade <laughs> Vasquez. They scrap the whole thing and Hosmer falls in their lap, and they're like, see, we added a first baseman, we're buying and selling. When that wasn't the plan, there was no way Hosmer was the plan. Right. He was only the plan because he gave him no tr- He said no to being dealt in the Soto deal.
1: Yeah, he was only the plan because one of the best players in the sport demanded a trade of went sign for $400 million with his previous team. That's the only reason Hosmer was available, and the Padres were sending you the money to take on the contract just because they wanted to get out of it from a CBT perspective and all that. But the other thing I just wanted to mention real briefly, too, is the thing that irritates you about the Red Sox approach now, it's incredibly arrogant, right? It's almost like Heim Bloom's thing. It's almost Belichickian without the resume, right? Like, Bill used to always do this, where and it hasn't worked as much lately, but he'd go out and he'd get, like, Kyle Van Noy, who was a second-round pick from the Lions, and he'd say, hey, you guys are using him wrong. I'll figure it out here. Wes Welker, he's underutilized with the Miami Dolphins. I'll make him into the best slot receiver in the NFL. Bill did that all the time. And that's variable, too, with the Steelers. Yeah, good point. So that's my issue with Haim Bloom is all the moves are that way, right? The only guy that had, like, a real proven track record was Trevor Story. And even him, you could question that move because it's like, well, that's so in case Xander leaves, right? So even that one guy that was, like, an all-star in the past, all these guys he signs, like, it's great he can find a guy like Schreiber, but Jake Diekman was coming off a horrible season. He signs him. It just feels like every move he's trying to outsmart everybody else in the business when they're lacking the ability or he lacks the ability to just use the financial muscles of the organization. Where do I really you look can, like a guy with a plan? You, <laughs> you can do what Theo did, where Theo stocked up the farm system like crazy. I mean, he's one of the best guys to ever do it. But he also paid and traded for Major League stars, right? He traded for those type of players that are incredible talents at the Major League level. And we just don't see that with him. It's almost like he doesn't want to give up anything to get good players in return, which is the most aggravating and baffling part to me about the whole situation. Even if you look at the Renfro trade. In a vacuum, I'm okay with the trade. You get two good prospects and you're paying more money for Jackie Bradley Jr. for the prospects, right? So I don't mind that type of trade. But here's the problem. If you're going to do crap like that and get rid of a guy that hit 30 home runs, okay, that's fine. But what's the answer in right field? You didn't You didn't do the next move. You didn't, and that's the biggest issue is you ignored the big league club. When you took Hunter Renfro away, you ignored the major league club. All you were thinking about was the future in the farm system. You needed to go out there and land a right fielder. And that's the biggest issue I've had with Bloom. It just feels like he's acted like this team was a 500 baseball team last year. Curtis, not a team that was two wins away from the World Series. And that's not made up. We watched it. They were legitimately two wins away from a World Series. And the team
2: got sick. Signi- and they had a 2 nothing lead in game four with the Bogarts home run. They were on their way to a 3-1 series lead and was headed, were headed to the World Series. Right. And they came into this year unequivocally
1: significantly worse. Yeah. Like, how is that possible? All the other teams that missed out, they're trying to load up, right? Like, I get the Astros lose Correa, but they know they have Pena in the pipeline that's going to be an absolute stud. All these other teams across the league are adding guys like the Yankees that feel disappointed with the way things went for them last year. The Dodgers, who bowed out earlier than they thought, they signed Freddie Freeman. The Red Sox signed Jake Walkman, Jake Deekman, and Trevor Story in stories the ultimate replacement to Bogarts. like, how is that acceptable for a team that was almost there last year? And... If I was Cora, if I was one of the players in the clubhouse, I would have the same reaction that these guys did in the Buster Only article. What the hell are we doing?
2: Yeah, so I, I agree. And both the Red Sox and the Patriots have attempted to fix something that was working. You know, with the Patriots, right. you have Tom Brady. You're a year removed from a Super Bowl championship, and you couldn't figure that out. With the Red Sox, you're two wins away from the World Series, a lead in, in Game 4, and you decide to fix things. But I don't blame Heim. I really don't. I, I think it's... You think it's a mandate? Well, I don't blame Roger Goodell for being a gigantic, idiotic, moronic boob. I blame the 32 <laughs> owners that pay his salary. He is their representation. He works for them. He does their bidding. He does not go rogue. He does what he's told to do. And John Henry tells Heim Bloom when he applies for the job that his resume is exactly what he's looking for. What he did in Tampa, which is to maximize the bang for the buck for a long duration period in a tiny market with a fraction of the fan base is something that they were looking to apply in Boston. You can't ignore that that situation. So 617-779-7937 is the phone number. Barrett in for Ken. We are going to be talking socks. I want to get to the Patriots as well. We had a very uh, frustrated Bill Belichick after the uh, preseason game Thursday night. We'll get your thoughts on that if you want to jump in. But uh, coming up next... I really want to understand 13th in Major League Baseball in free agent spending the last three years since John Henry moved on from Dombrowski and brought in. How does that make you feel as a Sox fan and uh, any optimism coming off of last night? 617 617- Seven seven nine seven ninety three seven. But first, we got Barrett. What's trending now with the MLB app? You can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where three D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app baseball your way download it now for free from the app store or google play Blockout and other restrictions apply major league baseball trade parts used with permission
0: we're right back to it ken and curtis on weei
2: bill how did you feel the communication went offensively with with both matt and joe relaying signals in their tonight?
3: Uh, yeah I didn't think communication was was a problem you know we had twelve men on defense on one play um otherwise the play clock was pretty we had plenty of time for the most part and you know we had a couple of injuries and a couple of substitution issues but overall uh those are more it, you know it wasn't the it wasn't the operation it was you know guys being, you know a guy being hurt or you know a we'll substitute because that caused some other substitution things so we can clean that up a little bit but um Yeah, I thought we were on the ball pretty quickly. I had plenty of time to operate, and um, we had to audible a few times. We were able to do that. So, I mean, there's plenty of room for improvement. I'm not saying we're there yet, but getting there.
2: All right, that was Bill Belichick Thursday night after the uh, the tough loss in the big preseason opener at Gillette Stadium against the Giants. Uh, I thought they had that. (laughs) I did, too. I know. We have Shime giving picks for the preseason games. If you're betting preseason football, my lord, call 1 800 gambling. I don't know what the number is, but anyway. Unless have, it's the Ravens, because aren't they like undefeated for the past like six years or something? They that's lose 21 pre-season and 0 games? or something like that. Another sign you have a problem if you know the Ravens preseason <laughs> record the last six years. Uh, but God bless you for doing it. Uh, anyway, we open Red Sox, High and Bloom, Buster only. 13th out of 30 teams if you want to join us on that. 617 779 7. But the big talker locally and nationally. And I've been really intrigued that the nation is still covering the Patriots with such fervor, considering there is nobody controversial in the Patriots. Like, there's no Deshaun Watson. There's no, you know, there's not a guy in a big contract dispute that's an MVP like Lamar Jackson. They're not considered a Super Bowl top 10 contender. You know, Mac had a good off season. from all reports. He's there. You know, he wasn't a real problem last year. He was the best Rookie quarterback drafted, but he's not exactly a guy that's uh, a lightning rod nationally. But the the disdain for the Patriot fans and the disdain for Bill Belichick is something that the cowherds, the Nick Wrights, the Dan Patrick's, the people nationally who sort of set the dialogue around the country, I do it here, uh, they have been knee-deep in the Patriots. And this morning, going over some stuff from this week for the show – it hit me. You know who Bill Belichick is? He's the guy or girl that dyes their hair pink, shows up to the office, office and is pissed that people keep asking them why they dyed their hair pink when the only reason you dye your hair pink is to have people notice that your hair is pink or you, you get the Mike Tyson face tattoo <laughs> and you sit down and you're like, what What are you looking at? Why Why are you looking at me differently? It, you, you're doing things out of the orthodox. You have an outside the books approach and you're wondering why people are questioning your approach it's it's okay it might work god knows bill's been right far more than i have but you're doing something you've never done before you replace josh mcdaniels who is by far and away the highest paid offensive coordinator and you replace him with two failed head coaches who haven't coached offense in decades so and and if you really want to say that joe judge and matt patricia were the quote head coach in charge of things matt patricia did a worse job with Matthew Stafford than Dan Campbell did with Jared Goof. And you have, uh, if you want to look at the Giants offense under Joe Judge, it was the worst scoring offense in football last year. So taking knees on third downs. So it might work, right? It could work. But you're doing something that is so clearly into the traffic, against the grain, and you're befuddled as to why you're being asked about it.
1: Yeah, well, I think that part of it, too, is, okay, so if you if Bill really felt as highly as he did about Josh McDaniels, well, then I don't understand. This goes back to the Brady situation, what the plan was, right? So I felt initially, okay, maybe Kaylee is the in-house candidate that it's going to be. Clearly, we found out that's not the case. So what I don't understand now from Belichick's perspective is, are we really at the point where we're in the first preseason game and we still don't know? Because if we do know, like if Bill knows that it's going to be Patricia, then why isn't Patricia calling every play in the first preseason game? Because he doesn't have experience doing that. You would think it would behoove not only Patricia, but the team in general to have the same guy calling the play the whole game. And if it's not the case, and really this was really a tryout because Joe Judge was calling plays after Matt Patricia was calling plays. And
2: remember, Mike Reese reported that in the offseason, that there would be a, quote, tryout in play calling during camp.
1: Well, see, to me, that's just ridiculous, okay? You should have already made this decision. And maybe that's part of the issue, Curtis, going back to this whole situation at training camp, everything that's been coming out about the offense not being good, the offense been struggling. And there was even theories out there that Andrew Callahan was on the other night or the other day on the afternoon show, and he essentially said that the reason those guys aren't playing, Mac Jones, et cetera, is because they're not ready to roll the offense out yet. And I have to look at the fact that, well, How could they be if they have two different guys that are battling for the position of offensive coordinator? And to your point, maybe it works out in the long run. But my problem is this. If Josh McDaniels is going to go, why didn't you just identify the guy that you wanted to use right away? And at this point, we're in training camp. We're in preseason games. Why isn't the guy established already? That's the biggest issue I have. Like I was never the biggest Josh McDaniels fan. But at this point, I just can't understand how Belichick is in a position now where he is having a tryout in a game. Like, how is this still happening right now? Have they really not decided? Like, it's perplexing to me. I don't understand it.
2: Yeah, and so I had a text. I revealed this. Uh, we went over it briefly at the, towards the tail end of the Great Hill Show yesterday morning, and Dante just sent me his thoughts from game one, Dante Scarnecchia, and he says, Patricia's calling the plays. Everything else is sort of this, you know, sleight of hand. Which is just so strange like I I can't envision who's it Mike McDaniels? is he the head coach in Miami? Yeah okay, so weirdo. I, yeah so I can't picture him in a week or two when he's game planning for week one at home against the Patriots saying that all right, well on this play Joe judge called this in and man, we have to prepare for the you know the, the screen pass to Josh Taylor. It's like nobody's preparation is going to be impacted whatsoever the only thing that's impacted is the amount of reps the play caller and the quarterback operating those plays together in unison is hurt you are you're taking away the time that those things have to happen and if it's to satiate the ego of joe judge or matt patricia both of whom would no be nowhere near an opportunity like this if not for bill is even less intelligent from the head coach
1: yeah well i just wish they would choose one of them and go with that guy like i'm not super happy about either one of those guys matt patricia or joe judge that's why the whole time i was hoping that they thought haley was a star in the making but here's the or Kaylee, rather was a star in the making here's the issue i have right now
2: todd haley was a defense decent <laughs> caller he, call. was, he, <laughs>
1: was. he had issues yep. but. but here's here's my issue as you look at mac it's he's entering year two we all felt like he had a really good year one, although he struggled a little bit down the stretch. Although I will say he's one of the only guys that showed up to the Bills playoff game. He played his ass off in that game. Him and Kendrick Bourne. The defense yep. didn't show up whatsoever. The coaching staff was not particularly great getting ready for that game. I mean, Josh Allen, they didn't punt again. <laughs> I mean,
2: the defense quit in the second half. Yeah,
1: I mean, that's for sure. But my thing is, I feel like Mac. He did all the right things, right? And I know that the people say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. But he worked out with his receivers. We can all agree he's in significantly better shape than he was a year ago. He actually was in a position where he worked out to improve his arm strength. Remember, Tom House said, I can improve his arm strength. He improved his arm strength. He did all these things. Better shape, arm strength, worked out with his guys, getting ready for this season. He gets to training camp.
2: And he went to a bunch of nice dinner, uh, dinner spots around Boston with Sophie. Well, there on you Instagram. go.
1: You want, to, you want to get good with the locals. But... He's ready to take a leap forward. He's ready to take a step forward, and I believe he's got all the tools to be able to do so, and I like some of the moves they made in the offseason as it pertains to the personnel. Like, watching Thornton the other night, it's like, holy crap. The Patriots may have hit on a receiver. Right, Thornton, that guy's speed is ridiculous. He was great the other night. I I know it's small sample size. Sadly,
2: the tools he has calling plays will take away from the tools he's developed during the offseason. Right, and that's my issue. Like, let's just get going with
1: this thing. Pick a guy. I mean, pick Patricia or Judge. And let's go. Like, let's get this thing underway so we're at a point where Mac Jones is cooking with gasoline by the time the season starts. And it just feels like what's happened so far in training camp is not going to help him going forward because it's so slow getting this thing going. And we can expect it to be a little slower considering you're putting in a new system. But just pick the guy that's going to be in charge of it. I mean, come on. And maybe part of it is this. This is my only theory on why they're still doing this. It doesn't have to do, from my perspective, about the ego of Joe Judge. Maybe it's more about the offensive line thing. Because Patricia was working with the offensive line a lot during the game. So maybe they're saying, all right, during the preseason, we're going to have Patricia, get these guys up to speed and all that, and then eventually he's going to hand it over to Billy Yates for the whole season. That's but the only that thing doesn't I,
2: make any sense. I agree with you. I'm, Hire the, I'm, an this, offensive I'm just theorizing coach, what it is. But like why they, they keep doing this, and the only thing I can surmise about why Bill's doing this is he doesn't trust, he doesn't want to work with people that are not beholden to him. He doesn't want to work right. with people who he doesn't trust that completely, who he doesn't dictate the, their future NFL life. And so that's why we're where we are. But it is just you you did the hard part. The hardest thing to do in maybe all of sports is to find a young, up and coming quarterback who can handle the grind of the NFL. And they did that brilliantly. They got Mac Jones the fifth quarterback taken, had the best rookie season, without a doubt. I mean, there wasn't a close second. He did everything he should have done this offseason. I don't understand the Mac hate. Like, I, Wiggy is not a fan of his shine. They, they don't, you know, I hear it every day. I don't have anything against Mac Jones, the quarterback. I, I hate that Bill didn't keep Brady here, which is well-established, but that's water under the bridge. Brady's doing great, whatever. But I, I can't fathom a the, the logical explanation that Bill gave Robert about, this is why we're doing this. This is why I think it's best to hire these two guys while they're paid by other franchises – and we don't have to fulfill the Rooney Rule hiring practice if we don't hire it, hire the OC position at all. And we're going to set this up, and we're going to maintain. Don't you remember the end of last season when they had their butt kicked in Buffalo? We said we need to figure out Mayo and Steven Belichick, who's calling plays. Yeah. They needed a, that was the number one story. And so Bill said, hold my beer, Josh is going to leave, and I'm going to muddy the water on the offense so much, you're not even going to talk about my son and the guy that used to play middle linebacker for me.
1: Yeah, well, and I think, too, Robert, like, now this is his out, right? Because we know that he doesn't like to take blame for anything, so if the offense sucks this year, he can just point to that. He has an automatic out when it comes to that, and he doesn't have to spend a lot. We know with the Patriots, from a spending perspective, they've been way down in the league for years, they don't spend a ton of money as it pertains to the roster. So this is another thing where he's saving money on Patricia and Joe Judge. But I just look at it from this perspective. Let's say either Josh was here or they had an established guy. Like, let's say that Bill O'Brien was the offensive coordinator. Right now, wouldn't we all as Patriots fans be feeling very optimistic about where the offense is at? And they're making us feel even more pessimistic right now because of the whole juggling with the play callers. like Think about Mac Jones entering year two after what we saw from year one. You add Devontae Parker. You added Thornton in the draft. You feel like, okay, born year two in the system. Janu you know,
2: could yeah. – whenever he gives you this year yeah, is, he, is a he bonus.
1: Are, he already has a good rapport with both Jacoby Myers and with Hunter Henry. You'd say, okay, you feel pretty good about where the offense is going to be at because Mac Jones is going to take – most guys take a leap forward in year two unless there's something really going on where you just – can't get it together like a Baker Mayfield or a Robert Griffin III because you have character issues. And now this is the only real thing that has you concerned about Mac Jones in year two. It's not even about—and I know you said Wiggy and Shime. It has nothing to do with Mac's ability to play football right now. It's more about do they have the right guys to shepherd a young quarterback? And I never thought that the Patriots—because we've seen it with so many different organizations in the past where they draft a guy and they don't have the infrastructure to support the player— That's where it feels like we're questioning if the Patriots have the infrastructure to to shepherd the quarterback going forward. I never thought the Patriots would ever be in a position like that.
2: Yeah, and 617-779-7937 is the phone number. These texts, I love it. I mean, I just, I I love, I love the deflection from Patriots fans when they can't answer a simple question. Instead of answering how they feel about the coordinator situation, who's calling plays, if this is a logical approach to the NFL and your offense with the young quarterback, they bring up. Do you objective hosts think they're going zero seventeen this year? I, of course not. I think nine and eight, eh, eight and nine. I, I, I don't think they're a Super Bowl contending team. I don't think they're an awful team. I, Bill won seven games with Cam Newton. I mean, he he can he can pull a rabbit out of the hat like you like you read about. But that's not the converse the conversation is simple. Why are they doing it this way? In what way does this benefit Mac Jones? Can you answer that? I would love to hear a Patriots fan explain this to me like I'm five as to why this is a logical approach. And my favorite, the 978 is back with the identical response. Bill wants a backup OC in case of COVID. <laughs> Duplication of a task in a pandemic is a smart thing to do. You can't deny science. So nine seven eight. Why was he an idiot the last two years? Only having Josh McDaniels. Didn't he leave his team? And I mean, when the, when the pandemic was actually you know something you had to miss work for, the CDC now says don't worry about it. So when it actually was a pandemic where you'd miss work, he only had one OC. Now when the pandemic is waning. We have two. The offense kept going. I, I just love the logic. 617-779-7937. If you can top, <laughs> they have two coordinators because of a pandemic. Join us next. We're back.
1: Ten and Curtis on WEEI.
0: Download the Odyssey app and listen on demand anytime. Are you,
2: you the not- one scripting? <clears throat>
3: We all kind of handle all of the coaches uh, all the way across the board. We all kind of work together. Coach Belichick obviously, um, you know, helps us a lot too. And, and uh, you know, myself and Joe and Nick Kaylee and Vinny and Billy, we all, it's a, it's a big divide and conquer at, at some points where we have to just, we have a lot of work to get done through the course of the night and, and everybody really understands what we're trying to do.
2: Well, we know they've divided, Matt, Patricia. We uh, the conquering is, uh, will remain to be seen. See if they can do that. Uh...
1: Is that the expression? I don't think it is.
2: No. Divide and conquer. No, I thought they were doing it together and conquering.
1: Yeah, that, doesn't make any sense.
2: I loved group projects in school because I always half-assed it, and then I'd get the better grade. I was the I was always the drain. I would do, like, the easiest thing and half-ass it, but we'd still get, like, a B minus.
1: I always got stuck doing the hardest thing.
2: Yeah. You you strike me as a guy I would have been best friends with in high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I ended up doing all the work. Um, by the way, I love this job for many reasons. There's nothing else on the planet I'd want to do. Love being. Being in Boston, talking to you fine folks in New England, it's all I've ever wanted to do. But there are certain days where, that are better than others, and I just heard from a guy from the D and C days. I don't hear anybody from the D or the C, but I hear from Kevin in the can, my old buddy. Curtis, it's Kevin from the can, still drug-free. Dude, you've grown leaps and bounds. So, Kevin, all the best to you. That's great news. I love jail. I mean, we're big in jails, so... Vote often, you know, if you can. How do they listen? They got a radio on the cell? Are you kidding me? Zarniev has like a freaking direct TV package. It's Supermax. Oh, I really? hope Kevin in the can has a radio. <laughs> uh, let's get to your calls here. 617-779-7937. Phil in New Hampshire. Good morning, Phil. How are you?
3: Good morning. I'm um, doing well. I got to tell you, I am a Captain Trust Bill, and uh, this, I don't like this the only rationale I can come up with is Billy O was plan a. And then when he went and met with Saban and then, you know, I think that that got niched and and, the next, I mean, and then I think maybe, you know, we just throw together this makeshift thing. Some of the concepts they're trying to do are what Alabama is currently doing with the quarterback they have now. And I'm like, is he looking at this as a roll of dice and hopes and,
2: they're not doing what Alabama's doing. They're not doing anything else. No, some out. of
3: the concepts I said. No, but some but here's concepts.
2: here's what's happening, Phil. Uh, Bill Belichick do, do you think that the Tom Brady became Tom Brady because of play action? That's not no, an Alabama not concept.
3: Completely different, different offense, whatsoever. Like it's totally than what I've been seeing from the practices. Okay, here is what totally. I got yesterday,
2: just quickly, Phil, this from Dante Skarnacki, who I think knows the Patriots' offense relatively well, much better than I do or you. Said it's the same offense, and I quote, "It's the same plays," and I quote,
3: "Well, the the the, the Shanahan style run stuff that we're seeing with Okay, no, no, nope, nope. what what is, what, is, what
2: we're seeing, Phil? Dante Skarnacki texted me yesterday morning. It's the same offense.
3: I know. I I heard. I heard that. Okay. And the other Um, point is, and the other point is, is Bill. Phil, I have a question. One more question, question Phil. 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 Then what the hell is everyone talking about? Phil, I have a question for you. All this talk for the last two weeks, Uh, what are we talking uh, about? It's a great question.
2: Is Bill Belichick strike you as a guy that when that he only has one option for something, or is he someone we've praised for two decades for being able to adjust on the fly and always have a backup plan? Like, you know, Lonnie Paxton snapping it into the goalpost on Monday Night Football in Denver in 2003. So we had one approach, Bill O'Brien, who was under contract in Alabama, and he had nothing else to, to back up. And what if he couldn't come here?
3: No, no, not at all. Um, I think that uh, the offense, hopefully. Something looks a lot more cohesive. The offense looked halfway decent, but they didn't run the concepts. They weren't running. The no, practice. I'm asking you, why didn't? They, why did they, like. they
2: stop after Bill O'Brien? They, that was his only backup plan.
3: I, I really do think that the Bill O'Brien was the preferred thing, and after that, his backup plan was like you know. We're going to just work with the guys that I trust and let these guys pay them and do all the classic Bill stuff. Like, I'm off the beaten path. I'm smarter than everybody in the room, and I'm saving a a buttload of money. I'm surrounded by guys I trust and I like that are indebted to me. I
2: I, I cannot for a second believe that Bill Belichick, who has every thought, he knows football backwards and front, been in the league 50 years, that he sat there, and it wasn't like they weren't thinking Josh was ever going to leave. He was agreed in principle with the Colts two years ago.
1: Right. And the other component to that is, remember on that documentary, Curtis, I can't remember if it was Showtime or HBO where Saban talked about his assistants taking guys from his staff. And that's one of the things that irritates him. It's he says, you got to build your own staff. Don't take the guys here. Like he's happy that his guys get opportunities. But that's one of the things that pisses him off. Yeah, it
2: was in the, uh, the Bill and Nick. Uh... Yeah, and
1: Belichick's literally in the room talking to him about it. So I can't imagine that was the only plan. And the other thing to the O'Brien point is, remember, O'Brien got a head coaching interview. Now, it went poorly, but he interviewed for the Jacksonville Jaguars gig. That happened during the offseason, so if you got the Jacksonville Jaguars gig, it's not like the Patriots would have been in consideration whatsoever, but the one thing I will say to Phil's point is maybe this was a situation, Curtis, where if they could get old Bill, Bill O'Brien, they would do that, but they weren't going to look outside of the family tree, and that's what I keep coming back to. I mentioned this, can't remember if I mentioned it with you last week or somebody else this week, is the Joe Brady situation where okay, if you're going to change up a little thing schematically here and there, why don't you kick the tires on going outside the organization, right? We've seen them do it before. Like, for example, they drafted well two years ago, right? We would all agree. Mac, Barmore, et cetera. Well, one of the guys they brought in, and I know that Bill is a tie to him, is Elliot Wolf. Elliott Wolf hasn't been in this organization. He was with the Green Bay Packers forever, and obviously Bill trusts his father and all that. But that was something that clearly has helped the organization. So, when your offense is in a situation where you lose a guy like Josh McDaniels, wouldn't it behoove the organization to finally say, okay, maybe this is the time that we go outside the organization. They've done it before. Very rarely they do it, but it would feel like if there was any year to do it, this would be the time to do it and at least get some outside opinions, not just guys that have worked for you in the past. That's it's fine. If you don't end up bringing on a Joe Brady or something like that onto the staff, but at least open it up and see what else is out there besides two guys that have never done it.
2: Right. And at least get a plan where you're not having the offense not be prepared to take the field because the coaches aren't ready to implement it. I mean, that to me is indefensible. But as I say, the the uh, you know, we'll we'll, we'll have actual games to break down and maybe Bills right again if he's not I don't believe he's going to have the same reservoir of goodwill that he's had in recent years, but your thoughts on this, on the Sox, whatever you want to talk about, 617-779-7937. And coming up next, I have a little piece of audio that I cannot understand for the life of me. I heard it last night driving around listening to my man Mutt. It was a little brief 60-second update on uh, one of the teams here, and it was the straw man of all straw men. We'll get Uh-oh. your thoughts on that next.
0: Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv.